0: And welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, District President of the Minnesota North District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. A blessed Pentecost season to all of you this Tuesday, July the 19th, as the light of Jesus shines on us from Genesis chapter 36. Once again, we get to genealogy. And it can be one of those chapters you skip over when you're trying to go through the scriptures. But for us, as we know that all of scripture is inspired and inerrant and ultimately points us to Christ, we look at each of these words, each of these names, knowing that it is God who knows every one of them. So as we look at this today, it's a good reminder for us to open up our Bibles and to put on our Christ goggles. For the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information. lhfmissions.org. Helping us be strengthened by God's Word this morning, we welcome back Pastor Jason Shockman of Saint Paul's Lutheran Church and School in Economaw, Wisconsin. Pastor Shockman, happy Pentecost, and welcome back to Thy Strong Word.
1: Thanks, brother. Uh, it, you you've changed titles since we did this last.
0: <laughs> Although we're
1: back to genealogies again.
0: Again, uh, yeah, that, it is. It yeah, is, is that, you know, keep going.
1: And I recall the, the last time you asked me to come and do the show, you had me with Matthew's genealogies. Yeah, yeah. And, and, now, and now we have Esau's genealogies. And boy, are they different.
0: They are different. They are different. And I think this is truly a God moment where God knew we were truly blessed with genealogies with Pastor Shockman, And here we are again, <laughs> truly blessed. What do you think?
1: God always gives us good things, even if we can't <laughs> see how they're good in the moment.
0: <laughs> exactly right. Uh, Pastor, tell me what's going on for you, your family, and the saints at St. Paul's Walk.
1: Uh, well, we just returned from the LCMS Youth Gathering in Houston, Texas, uh, we actually ran into each other there, so that was fun. Amen. <laughs> uh, you and I did, uh, briefly, uh, quite literally in a hallway, ran into each other. Um, so the the youth have returned, and uh, I came back and promptly went on vacation. Uh, so I am uh, speaking to you live and in person on a vacation day, which is great—a uh, great reminder that even when we're on vacation, uh, we still need to be strengthened by the Word of God.
0: And it was a wonderful time at the youth gathering, seeing many old friends, but more importantly, being in God's word being with 20,000 different people and, uh, you know, just enjoying uh, the fellowship that our Lord gives to us. Any other thoughts you have on the youth gathering? Now we're over well, a week uh, away from it.
1: It just seems like every time I go to the National Youth Gathering, the, sorry, the LCMS Youth Gathering, um, mm-hmm. every time I go, yeah, I'm there for the kids. I want to encourage them to grow in Christ and and in their life in him uh, to see this you know the the, the breadth or at least a piece of the breadth of the church right that it's not just a local congregation but this is really an international thing uh, this Missouri Synod Church um, and, and and while that that's really my goal it always ends up being a reunion <laughs> where I can't walk across the convention center without running into somebody that I went to school with or that I served with um, and and having a conversation with them and then inevitably telling the group, no, you guys go ahead to that section. I'll catch up. Right. (laughs) Um, This, this group here from St. Paul's learned on day one, uh, literally on day one, that I don't get too far across the convention center without running into somebody I know. uh, And and generally there's conversation that ensues. I try to keep it brief. I fail miserably most of the time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it is truly a blessing. Now, Pastor, mm-hmm. I wanna I wanna reflect on a statement that I commonly use here on KFUO is I'll start by saying, Open up your Bibles, put on your Christ goggles for the gifts are ready, ready for you. Now a question was brought up by one of our listeners about Christ goggles. They're like Explain that to us. And so, Pastor, I want, I want to have a little back and forth because I've heard this described in a few ways as we look at Scripture. As we know in in, in the Bible, it is Jesus who says, you know, you search the Scriptures because you think you'll find truth. But the, the truth of the matter is that the, the Scriptures are about me. And so I want to, I want to use my uh, reason why I use that language, and I want to hear some of yours, uh, what your thoughts sure. are in reflection. Is, so I have three kids that are swimmers. I, I'm not a swimmer. I uh, did not compete. And so when you swim, um, competitively especially, but I've noticed it, you know, just on my recreational way, if you go under and you open up your eyes under the water, which, you know, is not suggested necessarily for contact wearers, but that's beyond the point. You open your eyes and you can see where you're going. You can tell that if, you know, if there's something in your way, you can see the bait bottom, you can see where you're going. You can tell in general how far away you are from the from the end of the pool, but it's still blurry. But when you put your goggles on, you're able to see it It's clear as day. You're able to see where you're going. You're able to see the details. You're able to understand completely where things are, uh, where the competitor is uh, so you don't run into the, you know, so you have a clearer picture. And I compare that to Scripture that we put on our Christ goggles, meaning, uh, meaning that we're able to see all of Scripture through Jesus. And we're able to more clearly see even something like the genealogies that we'll go through today. Um, So that's one of the the reasons I use that analogy, which I've heard different ones. And so pastor, I want to ask you as a good theologian that you are, um, how would you describe that to people as they see a Christ centered view of all of scripture?
1: Well, first I want to add to your uh, analogy. Um, So so I, I am, really close to legally blind without my glasses. <laughs> like what most people see from 400 feet away, that's what I see from 20 feet away.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? So here's here's an add to your Christ goggles. When I swim and I put on goggles and go under the water, I can see clearly. It's It's odd to me Uh, But I can see clearly, even though I need vision correction uh, above Mm. water, right, even though I need glasses that are quite strong, when I put on swim goggles and go under the water, I can see far better than I can above the water without my Mm. glasses, so I, I don't know, we would need somebody that knows how like light gets refracted and eyeballs work and all that stuff. Like guys that are way smarter, guys or gals rather, that are way smarter than you and I uh, to describe why that's true. Um, but, but for those, like, for those like me that are, are, you know, vision, vision challenged without corrective lenses, those, those goggles, when you're underwater, that's a corrective lens. Mm. And I don't know why that works, but it does. So all the more, right, for me, your Christ goggles makes a lot of sense because mm. uh, when when I go underwater, things are much clearer when I have goggles on. Uh, not not just clearer, like, oh, you know, it's not blurry because of the water. It's actually I can see distance that I can't see out of the water. Mm. So... Th- what a cool way, right, to be able to use that Christ goggle. So as we go to Scripture, even though even though we may not see clearly, uh, those, those Christ goggles that help us see all of Scripture with Christ at the center really do realign our vision of w- what we're reading as we dig into God's Word.
0: It's marvelous. So that, it, it is absolutely marvelous. I appreciate how you're saying that. And I've heard different words being used, like Christ spectacles, you know, like Christ glasses. Oh, yeah. I've heard that language. The yeah. ultimate purpose is to say that we're seeing all of Scripture through the lens, I've heard that language too, of yeah. Christ being the main purpose. And I think this has been yeah. important. And I wanted just a little reflection here. Is, For example, when you see the story of Abraham and Isaac. That if you just see that as a story of God saying, "Okay, um, sacrifice your son, oh, you have faith, okay, now I'll bless you." And you just see it that way, it's like kind of terrifying because you're like, "Oh my gosh, this is great. Right.
1: Who wants to worship a faith. God like that?
0: Exactly. But when you see it through the lens of Christ and faith you're able to see that he's pointing to Christ already, that he's pointing us yeah. to that the Lord will provide a ram, the Lord will provide a Savior. That's just one example I commonly use. Pastor, real quick, since we're on this topic, a very important topic, Any anything that you'd like to, a Bible story, that really is something that is important when you have Christ's goggles on?
1: So, well, first, uh, the, the analogy I use is obviously my glasses, right? So much like you say, Christ's goggles, um, I just talk about you know, your Christ, your Christ lenses. That's the word I use is the lens, right? Because um, mm-hmm. those lenses really do change the way you see. Uh, I recently had to move into uh, bifocals. Oh boy, look out. Yeah, right. We're getting old, man. Um, and so that th- that has changed the way that I read as well. Um, because uh, if you don't know this, Uh, I have progressive bifocals, which means the edges of my lenses down there at the bottom where the readers kick in are blurry. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so if I'm not looking through the middle of the lens, if I'm trying to look out of the side of my eye, I can't read the text. I have to have it right in front of me Mm -hmm. if I'm going to use that progressive bifocal part of my glasses, Uh, which, again... We, we have to have Christ right in front. We have to have him right at the forefront uh, of our understanding, of our reading uh, of these texts. Um, for, for me, the the story or the, the narrative of, of the Old Testament, um, the story of Joseph just beautifully unfolds and points to Christ in ways that are, that are almost jaw-dropping when you start digging into them. Um, uh, and, and I love that one. Uh, right. That just, as you talk about Abraham and Isaac and the whole sacrificing the kid when he's, when he's 12, um, cause you know, the joke if he'd waited till he was 13, wouldn't have been a sacrifice.
0: Mm, mm, mm. Well, we'll, yeah. we'll leave that to the Lord. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I love teenagers. So we're good. You know, I mean, I like hanging out with them. They're kind of challenging and fun and, and all that at the same time. Um, Right. So um, the story of Joseph very much is a frame for us to see what will unfold in the life of Christ. Um, Other other stories from the Old Testament are chunks of the narrative of the Old Testament that really only make sense when you see Jesus in them. Boy, I wasn't ready for that one right off the top of my head.
0: No. I did. I did, and it really sets the stage so that when you read a chapter like chapter 36, which is why I'm glad our listener asked this question, is because you get to 36 and you just like, oh, I think I'll skip that. So pastor, as we come to this, let's let's start digging in, but first, can you begin our time in prayer? Absolutely.
1: Heavenly Father, by your grace, uh, you give us your son. We pray that you would also, send us your spirit as we open your word, that we may see your son rightly as we read and confess what you have said of us, of our fellow mankind, and of your grace to supply our every need. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Amen. Reminder to your listeners, if you have any questions concerning our text today, Genesis chapter 36, send us an email KFUO at KFUO.org. KFUO at KFUO.org. Or call us on this live study 314-821-0850. 3- 314-821-0850. As we hear these words today, Pastor, I'm just going to start reading a number of our verses. This is one of those moments where uh, we're going to we're going to plow through these beloved names. And so we're going to make it through. Uh, and, and ultimately, I remember this. This is the other lens that I put on, is every one of these names, just like Pastor Shockman and myself and you, our listeners, are remembered by our Lord. So we hear these words today from Genesis chapter 36. These are the generations of Esau, that is, Edom. Esau took his wives from the Canaanites. Ada, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, Ohilamibah, the daughter of Anna, the daughter of Zibion, the Hivite. And Basmoth, Ishmael's daughter, the sister of Nebaioth. And Ada bore to Esau Eliphaz. Basmoth bore Reol. And Ohelamabah bore Jeush, Jalem and Korah. These are the sons of Esau who were born to him in the land of Canaan. Well, I'm, uh, you know, my, my tongue's kind of uh, worn out here, pastor. Give us some context. We come upon this and we hear of Esau again, kind of one of those last guys we would consider to have a descendant, but what leads us up to this and helps us out this morning?
1: Not sure what you're asking there, but here's what I'll go with. <laughs> uh, Esau, obviously the brother of Jacob, um, is set at odds with his brother from their birth, uh, much like one of the other names that we're going to see in this opening, in these opening verses, uh, we see Ishmael's daughter, right? Ishmael, the older half brother of Isaac, set against his brother from the time that Isaac is born. Uh, and so already we're seeing that Esau is taking wives from Ishmael, who, if you recall, uh, God promised Ishmael would be a man who is constantly in conflict with his neighbors and his neighbors were constantly in conflict with him. Uh, <laughs> it's not a wonder then that Esau and his descendants who are Edom, that is the nation of Edom, were a nation that were regularly and often uh, kind of the, the, thorn in the flesh, or the, the, the pesky neighbor that kept picking on Israel, as Israel settled in the land of Canaan after the Exodus.
0: And so, Pastor, as you look at this, uh, we look at the descendants, and he took wives from the Canaanites. This, this seemed not to be a real, how do you say it, it was not encouraged. Well, it was flat out discouraged
1: <laughs> right <laughs> i mean it was it was flat out discouraged right um, it, later on in, in deuteronomy um I, I believe it's it's in the 20s uh 22nd 23rd chapter um, god gives some instruction uh, through moses to israel uh, about when they settle in the land and when they decide that they want to have a king, like all the nations around them, there are some rules that that king must follow. And, and one of them is don't take wives from the other nations. In fact, don't take many wives. Uh, Esau is not doing so well on that. <laughs> He's doing both. No.
0: Right? And so it's interesting why, it, in general, because it could be something as simple as this. You're in Wisconsin. I'm in Minnesota. Pastor Shockman tells his daughters, you can't marry a Minnesotan. You know, you just can't marry a Minnesotan. And then I tell them, well, tell my daughters, you can't marry a Wisconsinite. Is it that simple or is there more to this?
1: Well, I mean, if we're talking about Vikings fans and Green Bay fans, it's kind of like a mixed marriage, isn't it? It is, yeah. Like a a Browns fan (laughs) marrying a Steelers fan. That's just, that's just not okay. (laughs) Um, yeah, there's a lot more going on in it. Uh, here, and here's what's going on. Um, God knows we as men want to please our wives. We want our wives to, be, to know that they're loved and cherished. And uh, the, the way that God sees this unfolding uh, in the lives of his people is if you're taking a wife from a foreign land that worships a different God You are going to end up bringing her gods into your worship life to appease your wife. But you are called, O men of Israel, to be faithful to me. Uh, You you are the bride. And this unfolds time and time and time again in the Old Testament uh, that God portrays himself as the faithful husband to his bride, the church, or, or his people. Uh, and time and time again, uh, they they go off with other gods. Uh, and and I, not idolatry, but adultery is the mm-hmm. term that so often God uses for that pursuit of other gods. And, and so the instruction to not marry women uh, of 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 foreign nations, isn't a nationalistic thing, right? It's not, a, uh, it's not a thing of hubris that we're better. It is totally a call to faithfulness, a call to let God be God and have him be the only God, kind of like the first commandment lays out. Right? And as we look at the instruction yeah. he gives to Israel, first one, have no other gods before me. (laughs) How do we do that? Well, don't marry people that worship other gods.
0: And why is that important for us today, even as our young people uh, look at a future spouse and looking for the possibilities there and fully understanding? See, this is where faith goggles come into this, is that we realize that God works through his word, that he works through his people but also there is a concern that when our Christian young people uh, marry someone who is not of the faith, your thoughts.
1: Um, So in inviting parents to be a part of the confirmation classroom or part of the confirmation progress or process, more so than just dropping your kid off at class, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. One of the statistics I found that for me was just shocking was if if a child has grows up in a home where only the mom is invested in the faith, he, is, he or she is about 50% likely as a child growing into adulthood to maintain that faith. If the father alone is involved in that faith, it is exponentially larger. It's I, I believe it's close to 70% more likely that that child will grow up to an adult who also practices the faith and if they grow up in a home where both parents practice the faith it's something like 75 or eighty percent more likely to become an adult that practices the faith so fathers being actively involved in their faith uh, it rather actively involved in the life that God has called us to in the body of Christ, uh, receiving the gifts of word and sacrament, making this a priority in their life. um, The children of that family are more likely to make that faith their own and continue in adulthood to practice those same Christ-centered reception uh, of God's great gifts. Boy, how important is that, right? How often have we heard things like uh, the church is one generation away from dire consequences? At the same time, that, that makes the church something we do rather than the bride that Christ has called unto himself and presented before his father without spot or blemish or any such thing um, through his death and resurrection, right? Redeemed by his blood. This is what he covers us in, this robe of righteousness. Uh, so how important is it for the people of the Old Testament who are being sent into a, a culture that not just uh, is okay with them, but actively battles against their confession and, and their uh, belief and their practice of faithfully following this God who has redeemed them, who has called them by name and brought them out of this house of slavery and bondage in Egypt, although we haven't quite got there yet in Genesis, but we will. (laughs) Uh, How how important is it then that each generation knows not only what God has done, but that He's the same God yesterday, today, and always, Uh, which actually takes us back into the genealogy uh, to see that even though these are folks who, who, in Esau's line, are not faithfully receiving these things that God gives them and praising him for it, uh, rather, they are still cared for by God. He is still providing for them land and animals and all that they need to support this body and life, uh, and in doing so, in his kindness, even though they reject him, okay. uh, n- n- now let's fast forward. Here's here's where those Christ lenses come in, right? So why does God do this? Well, uh, Romans two four would tell us that it is God's kindness that is meant to lead us to repentance. So he- here Genesis thirty six we're we're seeing generation after generation after generation of those who reject God, and yet. In his kindness, he continues to provide for them. He continues to give them what they need to support this body and life. He continues to call them to repentance, to call them back to himself. And and what a great and gracious example that is for us today, knowing that he does the same thing. How great is God's mercy that that he would continue to provide in abundance even for those who reject him.
0: So, Pastor, as we look at all of these names, I love how you brought us back um, to that kindness, because that really is a theme throughout Genesis, that the Lord is kind to his people, that they... Well, you know, Jacob needs to be renamed, you know, he needs to be wrestled with, uh, you know, and you look at Abraham, you know, they, they laugh at God and, and, but yet God carries them through. And I love that language, you know, as Romans Roman says, that's something I, a great addition as we look at another lens for us to look at throughout Genesis is that kindness of God. Now, pastor, I want to talk more about that, but we are, we're right at the time for our break. We are studying Genesis chapter 36 with Pastor Jason Shockman, and we will be right back. Welcome back. We are studying Genesis chapter 36 with Pastor Dacian Shockman of St. Paul's Lutheran Church and School in Economolwock, Wisconsin. And Pastor, we we have a lot more to go through here this morning. And so let's dig back into the text. (laughs) We're in verse 6, and we'll keep moving forward. And once again, the lens that we have is not only the cross goggles, but also, as Pastor said so well, the kindness of God. We hear the words. Then Esau took his wives his sons, his daughters, and all the members of his household, his livestock and all his beasts and all his property that he had acquired in the land of Canaan. He went into a land away from his brother Jacob, for their possessions were too great for them to dwell together. The land of their sojournings could not support them because of their livestock, so Esau settled in the hill country of Seir. Esau is Edom. These are the generations of Esau, the father of the Edomites, in the hill country of Seir. These are the names of Esau's son. Eliphaz, the son of Ada, the wife of Esau. Reuel, the son of Basmoth, the wife of Esau. The sons of Eliphaz were Timon, Omar, Zapho, Gatum, and Kenaz. Timna was a concubine of Eliphaz, Esau's son. She bore Amalek to Eliphaz. These are the sons of Ada, Esau's wife. These are the sons of Reuel Nahath, Zerah, Shama and Mizah. These are the sons of Basmoth, Esau's wife. These are the sons of Ohelemaba, Excuse me, the daughter of Ena, the daughter of Zebion, Esau's wife. She bore to Esau, Jeush, Jalam, and Korah. Now, Pastor, can you imagine? family reunions and trying to explain how I'm related to the other person. What are your thoughts? Uh,
1: I come from a small family. (laughs) Uh, It's just my sister and I. My dad had two brothers and a sister. My mom had two sisters and a brother. Uh, I had two cousins that were local on my mom's side and three that lived in Texas when I was growing up. Um, And now they live like still live in Texas and one lives in England. Uh, my, on my mom's side, my other, my other aunt had two sons. Um, they both live in Ohio now, and uh, family reunions don't really happen because, you know, we still talk and, and are connected. And um, I just have one cousin on my dad's side, and that's, that's easy to keep in touch with him too. Uh, I can't even begin to imagine. Trying to nail down the <laughs> nail nail down the who came from what and where and how and huh, yeah nope.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know my my wife's family is is on both uh, her dad's and her mom's side are are big, uh, and I I have to be reminded all the time. Uh, now this is right. This is how this person is related to us, and I go oh oh yeah okay okay. In Ten minutes later, I'll forget. Right? Is, is that because that's not my frame? But but knowing that my wife does come from this big family, and knowing how she is able to keep track of all of it, um, it's pretty amazing that when this is your experience, this is what you know. It all came from big families back then, and we're not even we're not even getting. All of the children. Uh, I don't. I don't think that this is a complete genealogy, right? Uh, I believe there are siblings that are not named, um, because for whatever reason, it is a pretty complete. I mean, this, it is a pretty full genealogy. I don't. I don't necessarily know that this is all of it. Like, there's no more brothers or sisters on either side, uh, but we are given these names that. Again, if, if, if we're thinking back to the, the descendants of a nation that lived beside Israel, it might, it might be that it would help Israel see Edom, this, this nation that was constantly a thorn in its flesh, as people, like real people and not mm. just our enemy. Because we we know their history, we have their lineage traced back. We know how close we closely really we are. It's hard it's hard to create an us versus them mentality, and and dehumanize people who you don't agree with. When you know their lineage, when you know their history, when you know who they are as people. Right? And I think that's, that's part of why we get this Esau's descendants included uh, in, in, as the ninth of the ten genealogies that flow through the book of Genesis.
0: Mm. And I like how you said this, because I think we can relate with this in a sense that if you encounter somebody, you don't know them at all. You don't know their background, you don't know, their history and maybe the kind of a personality you don't, you don't quite appreciate. Um, And then what happens is you find out that they are related to somebody, you know, or they're connected to an area that you understand and that you like, oh, you're connected to them. And all of a sudden you're able to see them in a different light. You're able to understand where they're coming from and their background which is why this is absolutely beautiful. Throughout Genesis, there are nuggets, there, there are gems, where it's very clear that, that, that Moses, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is being very real with us. I think very yeah. much so relates to us today. And how much do we, I, chief of center, need to be reminded, not only that maybe I'm connected to this person from the seminary that I went to or, or from the hometown that I'm from or the state that I'm from, but ultimately as one that the Lord loves and ultimately the one that Christ has died for. That's, that's our identity. And it's almost like Moses and God is just pulling our eyes back and our eyelids back and saying, listen, let's look at this again in a whole new light. Those are my thoughts. What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, Especially having just come off the, you know, the LCMS youth gathering where it seems like I'm having a reunion every time I turn a corner um, mm-hmm. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. good to be reminded that yeah, these guys that I'm close with because we went through the crucible of seminary together, uh, yeah. that you know that that those aren't the only people in my in my circle in my world or that I run into on the street that I can love with the same love of Christ because he died for them.
0: So, Pastor, let's keep moving forward. Uh, we are in verse 15. These are the chiefs of the sons of Esau, the sons of Eliphaz, the firstborn of Esau, the chiefs Taman, Omar, Zepho, Kenaz, Korah, Gatam, and Amalek. These are the chiefs of Eliphaz in the land of Edom. These are the sons of Ada. These are the sons of Reol. Esau's son, the chiefs Nahoth, Zerah, Shama, and Mizah. These are the chiefs that rule in the land of Edom. These are the sons of Basma, Esau's wife. These are the sons of Ohilabama, Esau's wife, the chiefs of Jeush, Jalam, and Korah. These are the chiefs, chiefs born of Ohilabamah, Ohilabamah the daughters of Aenah, Esau's wife. These are the sons of Esau, that is Edom, and these are their chiefs. These are the sons of Seir, the Horite, the inhabitants of the land, Lotan, Shobal, Zibion, Ena, Dishon, Azer, and Dishon. These are the chiefs of the Horites, the sons of Seir in the land of Edom. The sons of Lotan were Horai and Hamam, and Lotham's sister was Timnah. These are the sons of Shobal: Alvan, Manana, Manahathas, Abal, Shefo, and Olnam. These are the sons of Zibion: Ai, Ena, and he is the Ena who found the hot springs in the wilderness as he pastured the donkeys of Zibion, his father. These are the children of Ena: Dishan, Ohenla, Baama. The daughter of Ana. These are the sons of Dishon, Hemdan, Ashban, Ethan, Ethron, and Sharon. These are the sons of Azar, Belhan, Zaavan, and Akon. These are the sons of Dishon, Uz and Aaron. These are the sons of the Horites, the chiefs of Lotan, Shabal, Zebion, Ana, Dishon, Azar, Dishon, these are the chiefs of the Horites, chief by chief in the land of Ther. Well, I'm worn out, Pastor. What do you got for us? That's a lot of names. It is a lot of
1: names. Uh, not much, <laughs> other than that's a lot of names. Uh, I'm curious. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm actually quite curious. Um, this this kind of uh, eureka moment uh, mm-hmm. and. At Genesis thirty six twenty four, yeah. right? This is the this is the guy that found the hot springs in in a land, and and I have, I just have no reference for this. Um, so I- interesting, right? Um, just some some maybe some history. The Horites, they lived in the territory before Abraham came, right? Um, So the Horites would have been there before Esau and his descendants came in and conquered it. So before it was uh, Edom, it was called Seir. And so... (laughs) this accomplishment that's mentioned, finding the hot springs in the wilderness while he's carrying for his father's donkey, um, the significance would be, here is a source of water in the wilderness. It would be a valuable, uh, valuable accomplishment for the people that lived there. Uh, it would have been part of their uh, history, um, much like uh, when we see Jesus with the Samaritan woman at the well. And and she says to him, our our father gave us this well. Our father Jacob gave us this well, right? Uh, and, and so we are right to drink from it and to keep it. Um, in much the same way, right, I think Anah is one of those guys in the land of Seir before Esau and his descendants take it over and name it Edom, Uh it would, have been, it would have been handed down. Like, this is, this is part of our who we are. This is part of the, the narrative history that defines this people. Um, and, and it's not like he created the hot spring. He found it. It was created by someone else. It was mercifully given in kindness by someone else to a people that rejected him.
0: And as we look at that, it is a, a good reminder of, once again, that the Lord remembers his people. Mm-hmm. And we, we, we all, we, in our modern day, we can kind of assume that everything just started when America was founded then everything kind of started going, you know, as far as our forefathers and foremothers who came to America, or we might think as Lutherans that everything kind of started in the 16th century with Martin Luther or you know, early 21. Yeah. Right. That all started then. Right. That there's a history well before this, that the Lord was at work. And here we see it through that little insertion. Just think about how little that insertion is. And I noticed that as well that the Lord was providing for his people well before this point and knew his people and had grace upon them even before Abraham was called and, and the generations that would come after him. And so there's, boy, it just reminds us of God's grace. And what, as you put the Christ goggles on, you understand that as well, that all of them are ones that that were going to be pointing to a Messiah who had died for them. Any other thoughts? Let's keep moving. Keep moving here, buddy. Here we go. More names. Here we go. <laughs> These are the kings who reigned in the land of Edom before any king reigned over the Israelites. Bela, the son of Beor, reigned in Edom. The name of his city was Dinahabah. Bela died. Bela died. And jo, Jobab, the son of Zerah of Bozrah, reigned in his place. Jobab died, and Husham, in the land of the Temanites, reigned in his place. Husham died, and Hadad, the son of Bidad, who defeated Midian in the country of Moab, reigned in his place, the name of his city being Avath. Hadad died, and Samla of Mashrekah, reigned in his place. Samla died, and Sheol of Rehoboth, on the Euphrates reigned in his place. Shaul, Sha'ul died, and Bahal-Hanan, the son of Akbor, reigned in his place. Bahal-Hanan, the son of Akbor, died, and Hadar reigned in his place. The name of his city being Pau. His wife's name was Mehetabel, the daughter of Matrid, daughter of Mezhabab. These are the names of the chiefs of Esau, according to their clans and their dwelling places. By their names, the chiefs Timna, Elva, Jas, Ohilabamah, Ela, Tinan, Kenaz, Timon, Mibzar, Megdiel, and Eram. These are the chiefs of Edom, that is Esau, the father of Edom according to their dwelling places in the land of their possession. This is the word of the Lord. <laughs> Thanks uh, indeed. be to God. Thanks be to God. <laughs> indeed. Hey, let's,
1: let's make a quick connection back at verse 35, because here's another one of those little narrative inclusions uh, that, that links us uh, to the history of God's people. Uh, Hushman. Husham died, and Hadad, the son of Bidad, who defeated Midian in the country of Moab. Midian in the country of Moab—that's got to ring a bell, doesn't it? The mighty men of Midianites, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. So later on in the history of Israel, it would be it would be the Israelites who would win just an absolutely remarkable victory. Against the Midianites, actually, it would be God who provided a victory over the Midianites in Judges chapter 7. Uh, and, and so here's another one of those links, right? The, the, the God who's providing this victory is the God who's providing Israel with a victory over the same people. Uh, the Midianites, by the way, w- would be a group that would continue to plague Israel as they leave Egypt— Right, and, and said to the, the promised land. Even even more so. Who are the traders, the, the the sellers of goods and slaves that take Joseph, the son of Jacob, from his brothers to sell him in Egypt? Midianites.
0: Mm-hmm. Right.
1: Oh boy, look at this. So, Right? So the connections start kind of ding in here, where Esau is, is also against or fight his descendants fight against those who become the instrument that delivered Joseph to Egypt, which we know well, what the brothers intended for evil, God intended for good. So here's another example of God in his kindness calling people to repentance who are rejecting him by providing them for what they need, whether it's a victory over the Midianites, whether it's the Midianites themselves uh, being sustained by being able to sell Joseph into slavery. Uh, God God is the one that's putting all of this together and all these dots connect only in him. Uh, Now, I didn't know we were going to really get to this, uh, but what did I say was the Old Testament story at the beginning of our time today that really connects to Jesus in amazing ways if you put Christ's lenses on?
0: Well, I, I'm looking right at chapter 37, and I think we have the answer. Next chapter, about Joseph. Joseph, yeah. yeah.
1: Um, mm. and so here, here's, a pre, here's a precursor. The Midianites were the ones defeated by Esau's sons. And, and it's those same Midianites that are going to sell jo- Joseph into slavery. Beautiful. Wh- which also brings up um, times, sometimes, things we find in the Word of God, things we see in the Word of God, things we see in our own lives that absolutely don't make sense. That's Okay. It's okay that they don't make sense because God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are beyond our thoughts. He he doesn't do things the way we think he should do them because we are finite, limited creatures with a 3.2-pound brain. He is God. He is infinite. And his wisdom is beyond our understanding. So when he lays all of this out for us and we start to see some of these connections and then scratch our head and go, God, what are you doing Sometimes the best answer is, I don't know. But that's a cool connection.
0: And this is where, when we read this, it, this is why it's good for us to slow down in Scripture, mm-hmm. the connection you made with the Midianites, the connection you made with the Horites. And the connection that we are to look at is even when God gives us a clear picture of what's being said. So, for example, when he actually explains one of the parables, you know, in the in the, in the Gospels, you're like, Oh well, that makes sense," and, <laughs> and the your disciples left are still, yeah,
1: yeah, right. And the yeah. disciples are still scratching their heads, going, "I don't get it."
0: I still don't get it. I still don't get it. And and I'll give you an example in the Book of Job, that you see the conversation between God and the devil, but yet you still don't understand why, why, why did that happen? And for us, when we look at Chapter thirty six and it just I mean it just catapults in my mind, catapults us into the story of Joseph. Yeah. That that we are able to just slowly better understand the depth of what has been given to us while still annoying that I will not fully understand it <laughs> to the level that I would hope I would, which is very humbling to me for sure. Reading this connects us to so many things. So Pastor, with about five minutes left in our time what are some of the connections that you want to make sure our listeners have as we read this genealogy and as we continue through the book of Joseph? No, Joseph, I'm sorry, Genesis. I'm so excited for Joseph, your pastor. So, book I, can of very
1: much, uh, I can very much understand that, and I'm so grateful, brother, that again, you know, you got me in before you get to the good stuff, that, that <laughs> I, I get the genealogies. There might be a little sarcasm dripping on that one. Um, so here's where I want to take us before, before we you know wrap up and run away from chapter 36 I should say run into chapter 37 uh, let's you know, if you got your Bible open and you're listening to home and following along let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 23 verses 7 and 8 Deuteronomy chapter 23 verses 7 and 8 here's the take home We've just ploughed through all these names. We've found some really neat connections uh, about the history of people and how God has been providing for them, about how these things are going to link and connect moving forward into the life of God's people Israel. Here's the connection Deuteronomy twenty three, seven and eight. You shall not abhor an Edomite, for he is your brother. You shall not abhor an Egyptian because you were a sojourner in his land. Children born to them in the third generation may enter the assembly of the Lord. How's that? How's that for blessing? How's Hmm. that, right? Calling them to repentance that the third generation from Esau would be allowed, would be allowed and welcomed to join the assembly of the Lord. God is promising grace to his people, not just his people. God is promising grace to people and calling Israel to welcome them in. Kind of a lesson we can very much learn for today. We we look around our culture and we look around our world and we see a lot of people that we don't think have any business being a, a brother. And yet, that is one for whom Christ died. And we can, with grace, welcome them into the assembly of the Lord. Now, again... That may, that may take a call to repentance, which is what God is doing in his kindness. But they're not excluded just because of who their great-grandparent was. Mm.
0: Mm. Pastor, with a minute and a half left in our time, how would you summarize this chapter once again and encourage our listeners in Christ. Well,
1: <laughs> uh, it describes the genealogy of Esau. That's, that's the long and short of it. Uh, <laughs> but that genealogy of Esau uh, is, is giving us context in which the story of Joseph will unfold, in which God's grace is demonstrated as he continues to provide for people who reject him. Uh, he will give good things to the Edomites. And by doing so, he is going to lead the descendants of Esau to repentance. He's calling the Edomites, who who will become one of the most ready rivals of Israel, to salvation in him alone. That what they intended for evil, God will use for good.
0: Pastor Jason Shockman, oh, go ahead. You keep going. Keep going.
1: We're going to have somebody else say that in just a, in just a few chapters.
0: <laughs> That's it. Exactly. Exactly right. A guy named Joseph. <laughs> oh, Pastor, it has been a joy. Pastor Jason Shockman of Saint Paul's Lutheran Church and School in Economot, Wisconsin, giving us God's strong word from Genesis chapter thirty-six. Maybe we won't remember it, but it sure has been good to dig in through Christ's goggles. Pastor Shockman, thank you for bringing us his gifts.
1: Always a pleasure to be with you, my brother, and uh, God bless and keep you as you uh, continue to grow in this role of district president.
0: Lord have mercy. I'm your host, Pastor Brady <laughs> Finnern. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.